we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Harvey Risch, Professor Emeritus of Epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health. Today, we are continuing our weekly series with various interesting and accomplished people. Our discussions have generally been on science and COVID topics, but they can really go wherever our conversations might lead. And if listeners have questions for me, please submit them at americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. I'm very pleased today to introduce today's guests, Dr. Peter and Ginger Bregan. Dr. Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan are the authors of the book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey, the best-selling deep dive into the global forces behind the laboratory creation of SARS-CoV-2, the, the lockdowns, the suppressed medical treatments, and the deadly pseudo-vaccines. Dr. Bregan has been called the conscience of psychiatry for his years of reform efforts in this field, including more than 30 books and 75 scientific articles. Ginger Bregan is a journalist on America Out Loud and on Substack, and co-author of several additional books with her husband. She's a daring researcher who specializes in going where other people fear to go. The couple has a radio show on America Out Loud slash Pulse, like here, and have been married and partnering for 40 years. So Peter and Ginger, why don't we start? What have you been talking about, thinking about lately? Hi, Harvey. Hello. Harvey. It's such an honor to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, I'd like to dive into what Ginger's been <clears throat> thinking and talking about, which is Hawaii and what's going on there. And she has a really a, an amazing and interesting feature, and it's a it's a column about Maui. So uh, this has got to be the most bizarre um, cataclysmic event of my lifetime, aside from COVID, yeah. um, the, the fire there. That the, it there has been both incompetence magical beliefs um and i don't know what mismanagement purposeful mismanagement might also have been going on but even post fire there's been all sorts of bizarre activities things like putting up a virtual wall blocking uh, drones from looking over the burned area of, of the fire and things like that trying to hide what really is apparently the, the damage that was caused by mismanagement, not just the, the da damage caused by nature. And, um, you know, as in most fires in the United States today, they uh, are at high risk of fires because there's a theology of not cleaning out the, the underbrush, the dried underbrush in, in forested areas. And that becomes kindling and any spark from a downed uh, power pole, as in this instance, or lightning, just ignites that and it spreads wildly, you know, and, and the trees are by and large green and don't burn so easily, but the brush burns and spreads the fires very quickly. And, and that just creates the opportunity for this catastrophe to happen, which is the case, has been in California, in, in British Columbia, in Canada, and here in, in, in Maui, just this, the same problem of people sticking to some bizarre belief system that thinks fire equals bad, and that's as far as their brains go. And so they, they refuse to, to deal with methods for, for cleaning out that tinder. Yes, uh, there is certainly that aspect. And I 
I I suspect it's planned rather than planned neglect, both uh, for economic reasons, because there's always a better place to put money than maybe some of the safety places that it needs to go. But also, uh, there are so many bizarre, I don't forget, I don't remember the word that was being used, but it was, oh, anomalies. There are so many bizarre anomalies about this fire and a few other fires that have occurred recently that one didn't see earlier in our lifetimes that uh, I feel that there's a lot more going on. And I don't have a whole answer yet, but it's so important. It's so important, Harvey, that we don't lose sight of what has just happened. It's like it's COVID. true. It's like COVID. We there are so many deaths in each of these instances, and it's uh, it's it's very easy to be distracted um, and to end up getting pulled into something like. Oh, the Burning Man show, you know, where people got stuck in the mud for a few <laughs> days. Um, and then then life goes on and it's like we're on this river and we just float on or, or rush on past these disasters. But there are reasons they've happened. We need to face them yes. and we need to work really hard to understand them. Well, in this case, the... There were some, well, first of all, I would say that Lahaina to the Hawaiians is viewed as their little private gem, remote resort. And it's like, it's the tender protected place in Hawaii. And so for the fire to have occurred there is doubly, you know, damaging to their psyches over this, not just a fire and the massive deaths, the children sent home from school, the parents not notified, trapped in the houses, you know, and um, th that's mismanagement, the lack of alarms, mismanagement, the the water being turned off in the middle of the fire while, while people were hosing the fire, trying to prevent it from spreading. And then it got turned off because apparently the clerk wasn't sure that using the water was OK with the water gods. So um, and had to check with a farmer and that took five hours to know whether diverting water from a farm is is not to be done when people's lives are at stake yeah. uh, that, that's incompetence but there's more than than that as we know that the police set up a roadblock on the one paved road north out of town and turned cars around that were trying to escape from the fire many of those people died that went back and and only the people who went around the roadblocks and on dirt roads and so on are the ones who escaped with their lives and how anybody could have thought to do that you know the governor should resign the chief of police should be resign should resign the, the, you know where he's from the chief yeah, las of vegas police. yes I yes do. he was he was the one that oversaw the las vegas shooting that got memory holds real fast we don't yes. hear much about that yes but but in in this case i think that um lahaina is going to be you know it's not like East Palestine train derailment, which had a cause that uh, of trying to save money. Here, the the fire they, they were trying to save money because they had no forest management plans. But the other thing about this fire that's interesting is because this area is ringed by mountains, the the prevailing winds come up over the mountain, 
and when the temperature is right, that it pushes the air down quite rapidly. And there were very strong winds that day and videos of power poles being pushed over with their wires. And, you know, and, and that's sparking when that happens is a cause of fires. And, and that's what happened. But the other thing that people don't realize is that when you have fires under high winds, the winds fan the flame and feed oxygen into the fire, which raises the temperature of the flames. And because of that, you see things like the aluminum wheels on cars melting because aluminum melts at 1100 degrees. And once it starts to melt, it, it traps the, the, it in a, in a melting cycle at that heat. And so this is not a directed energy weapon, which is, which is you know, kind of a fantasy idea, but the fact of a fire that, that was fanned by high winds, forcing it into higher and higher burning temperatures. And so that's why you see all these cars just burn to a crisp and, and, and so on, and houses burnt to a crisp, not like regular fires where you see parts of houses intact, parts charred, and so on. This Everything was, was just black and burnt to a crisp because of the high temperatures caused by the winds. So it's not necessarily to invoke supernatural or, or you know, strange government behaviors necessarily to account for a lot of the stuff that happened here. Well, I think maybe I go a little further than you do in regards to this. Um, when we uh, when we started writing COVID-19 oh, yeah. and the global predators back in um, really 2020, we got it finished in 2021, I think we thought that way a lot, that uh, this was um, one um, one stupid mistake after another, uh, one inexplicable uh, lack of uh, knowledge or awareness. Failing, right. By the time we got through with the book, we felt we actually could explain everything that happened. And we could explain it on the basis not of... Um, uh, misunderstandings, lack of knowledge, but of a persistent plan. No, an intention to carry out the plan that was carried out. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And yeah, good, 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 good. Because that was a big shock to us. It was confronting evil, especially for me. Ginger's always been a little ahead of me. On oh, it was so hard though. That first year, it was. We had uh, moments of terror, like looking. Well, I at thought this. I was living in Germany in 1934. The big yes. lie after the big lie after the big lie. Yeah. You know. Yes, that's right. Well, so that that has given us a certain uh, lens lens to look at who's benefiting. In general, there has been a huge shift in wealth, as you know, Harvey. Maybe even better than us. Um, from the poor nations and the poor people to the wealthier nations and the wealthier people that has uh, been um, fueled by the banks, fueled by the military industrial complex, fueled by just many different um, global activities. And you have an island um, where Oprah lives and uh, Bezos live and... Um, they have a common driveway. <laughs> they own thousands of acres. They have a acres. common private road. Yeah, they own thousands of acres, from what I gather. Um, and you kind of a kind of a microcosm of what the globalists want, which is whatever they can get. And um, 
we could imagine, we can say that all of these horrendous things were errors. Um, well, it can't be errors because they're all pointing in one direction. Errors right. go 50% one way and 50% the other way. The, this is 100% in one direction. Well, that is, that's what we're in part responding to. And we're thinking that this has a lot more intention behind it than the than errors, that there's an intention here to uh, cow the population there, which they've done successfully. And Especially the indigenous population, the native Hawaiians, uh, Lahaina was is the is the heart of indigenous Hawaii, and um, it it really was the seat of the crown before Hawaii became a state. So it has inestimable um, value to the native population, and so much of that is now gone. So much cultural heritage is gone. What's being looked at for uh, both that community, that town, and all of Maui is to make it, uh, bring it up, quote, to the 21st century, make it a satellite city, and make it a whole, um, make it a whole uh, smart island, I think. You know, they want to really bring in all of the World Economic Forum concepts of modernization in regards they're gonna to... They're going to make it a 15-minute island? Yeah, they're going to make it a 15-minute <laughs> island, Harvey. <laughs> That's right. And there's a great deal of pushback about that from the um, individuals who live there, especially the indigenous population. And they have an important voice that uh, settlers or people who have lived there just within their own lifetimes and so forth don't have as much sway necessarily as those whose ancestors have lived there for uh, uh, for for many, many, many decades. Well, I assume they still own the land. Well, they do, but you know they're getting they're getting lowball offers to buy the land. There are concerns that these oh, first of all, some of the other properties that are left standing, have been condemned at this point and very, or, uh, well, actually, I guess condemned or else the uh, owners have been evicted because the the reasons are varied. Uh, one is that they don't have running water right now. I don't know whether that has changed, but there seems to be a real push to get everybody moved out for a while so that they can do some really... Uh, massive upgrading that is not necessarily what's desired by the local people who are the landowners. And this usually the, comes to lawsuits. Yeah. But yes, yeah, exactly. And then, of course, then that takes years. You grind individuals down. They run out of money trying to defend themselves. They end up accepting lowball offers. Eminent domain is a whole tactic that's grossly abused now. You know, it used to be we really have to put in this highway and we're going to have to co to compensate you for taking this piece of your land or whatever. But now eminent domain is used for all kinds of things. And I'm afraid that this is a kind of a new way of shoehorning eminent domain in. The, the, the buildings are burned already. 
makes it much easier to declare eminent domain and and make some uh, bigger plans. There's also some other things that Ginger's writing about um, in this uh, um, column you've done, you've done from for um, he edited it so he read it for America Out Loud. Yeah, but this was this is so much your just your work, and um, she describes in it um, when there was a uh, tornado in Indiana and she was a child, and how the neighborhoods. Uh, people just responded and how her mother and father put her in a car and put food in it and trucked trucked food down to the people. And there's this was prevented this time, the first as we can tell. Um, It's like Americans know how to do rescue. Yeah. Traditionally, we knew how to do rescue. You know, that tornado was, was a massive band of tornadoes that came through in 1965 on Easter Sunday and uh, wiped out several communities in Indiana along with uh, places in six other states. And there were a number of deaths. Um, People knew to go and look after their neighbors, to dig them out if necessary, to set up a gathering place, make lists of survivors, make lists of the no- missing. You no, know, it's human dead. nature. We're we, yeah. At that time, we were a good-natured people, and you That's know, right. and we would do stuff like that by and large. Well, I think we still are. I think that it has to be suppressed to some some extent, Harvey. You know, there's military bases around Hawaii. Obviously, yeah. Remember all the efforts that the military put into rescuing people in New Orleans. When that terrible hurricane hit and the uh, the failure of the dikes, yeah, and I didn't, I saw nothing. We could find nothing of the military coming in. They could have come in with uh, boats that, pop, that probably could have, uh, uh, instead of you know having the people having to, to to go into the water and face sharks. Though we don't know they had to face sharks, but it seems like they might have. Uh, they could have been uh, putting out the fires uh, along the shoreline from. Uh, from naval naval uh, fireboats, um, it, it it strikes me that they have fireboats, they have hospital boats. Boats, yeah, yeah. So and I, none of the none of that showed up. And this was a fire that started and went all day, I believe, through the night into the next day. It was not. There were people who were in the in the water for five and more hours before yeah. they were pulled out by oh, the boats. But l- let me just yeah. say something. Um, in my opinion, Hawaii is a largely failed state in the first place. That I, a colleague of mine at Yale moved to take a, a job with the um, Cancer Institute of, of Hawaii in Honolulu in 2012. And um, so he, the grant that he was using, that he ran, he took with him to Hawaii to administer it from Hawaii. It was still going on in Connecticut. And so I had to deal with the state because the Cancer Institute is is part of the state university system, on, on all of their bureaucrats, those bureaucrats are insane. I mean, I've dealt with bureaucrats my whole academic mm-hmm. life. I know what bureaucracies are. I know what dealing with Europeans bureaucracies are and deliverables and forms and forms and forms. It's like the military and a half. But, but Hawaii, the bureaucracy, they're insane. They ask for things that are impossible to get and make no sense. They wanted me to prove that 
Yale is a nonprofit institution. Uh, I mean, the thing, the things that are obvious, but they wanted proof, you know, et, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, they must have felt that if they didn't do this, they would lose their jobs because their higher up was demanding they had to do all this. But but anyway, actually, we've got um, a, a commercial break point. So let's take a break and we'll come right back. So everybody, please stay tuned. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Cofix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Rich with Dr. Peter and Ginger Bregan. So we were just talking about the failed People's Democratic Republic of Hawaii. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, honestly, there's... There's so much incompetence that I've seen throughout my time of, of various interactions that I can accept that you think that there's something systematic going on as well that took advantage of this, but it's not clear yet whether the event itself was intentional or could have occurred naturally. And the fact that it did occur at a time with such high winds and such an unusual configuration of the temperatures over the mountains that abetted the winds sliding down the mountains and creating high temperatures for the fire seems unlikely that they would have had enough smarts to be able to do that on a moment's notice when you know when the winds were doing that when it was just right so i kind of think that this happened and but that these people were prepared for it so that they knew what to do when something like this happened in the same way that there was event 201 and then all the previous annual events preparing for the pandemic that they knew was happening because they were building 
the organisms that would lead to the pandemic when they got out by accident, so to speak, all along. Um, you know, I think that one thing that I've said is that it's not globalists who are exactly our enemy. The globalists are comprised of people who have um, unreasonably large amounts of money and resources, uh, which I refer to as elites. And elites in societies have always tried to take over their societies. Going back thousands of years, the elites in each society have tried to take over all and control all their societies. So for it to be happening now is not much different than before, except that the technology and the financial resources are greater than they have been in the past, which means they're more they're closer to being able to do it. At the same time, we have some technology in social media, you know, and, and other resources to push back and to fight this as we've been doing. But I so I'm not seeing that that this aberrance is something that's only from now. I, I think this is longstanding and unrecognized in society in general until it comes to a head like it has during COVID. Yeah, you're, you're practically describing the first third of our new book, which <laughs> is literally um, about how since we gave up being hunter-gatherers and went into towns and cities, there have been human beings um, who instead of using their prowess and their power to go out there and hunt huge animals, begin to hunt human beings, and maybe also even like people who wouldn't have been hunting because well, they, you you have they, to realize that war is a much more economically efficient behavior than building resources in a society. That it's much easier to take what's already been built and kidnap it and steal it than it is to build it from scratch. And that includes the knowledge base of the society too. So, so it's you know it's partly natural selection of humans to use the easiest route to accomplish something. And unfortunately, the, you know it's morally wrong, and that's why we have civilization to protect ourselves from those behaviors. Um, that's interesting. I think I view civilization as the origin of those behaviors, and then the so-called protections to be the work of the elite. Um, who then exploit these situations and create governments and other things. But we are so close about this. It's interesting, Ivy, because that one of the things I'm just trying to communicate a lot to people is that there's nothing new here. The elites, which we call the global predators, um, the, uh, the elite, the modern ones, the elites um, have always attempted to take over, but it only begins when you have something to take over. When you have private property mm -hmm. that matters, you have animals and uh, you have uh, farms and you've got stores of food and you uh, you don't have weapons. Yeah, uh, as long as you're wandering around picking berries and yeah. eating deer, you are, there's not a lot to take. Well, there were the leftover weapons from the hunter-gatherer times, but... Right, well, and the human beings themselves. Yeah. I mean, you could take humans but that well, was you know, about it I mean, it's, it's pretty soon it's a couple of thousand years or so and we see really organized warfare against you know towns and cities but um, so we actually have a very similar view um on the origins of this being uh, really since the start of civilization is the way i view it and um and now as you were saying now people have all kinds of new methods 
to communicate, to gang up. Um, uh, they have new weapons. I mean, it's just, uh, it, and it's fulfilling goals that very ancient Chinese uh, emperors had, which was to rule the world. And I think some of them thought they had done it. And certainly, still, I think they're still trying. And they're still trying, exactly. Uh, that's right. I think this is uh, really, really uh, true. Um, maybe we could go. I have a question for yeah. the two of you, actually. I, I would love to know. Uh, what each of you thinks are the explanations for why, since this is such a universal and a historically experienced issue where the elite take over, other people want to tell the the less powerful people what to do. Why are we so naive at this point in our civilization about this happening again. It's so hard for people to even begin to grasp COVID uh, and anything else where there may be some evil intention involved in it. Well, I can maybe start. Um, I think this came about because 50, 60 years ago, we stopped teaching civics in elementary, middle school, high school. And 30 years ago, we stopped teaching Western civilization, political philosophy of Western civilization in college. And people have grown up just uh, living mostly a life of acquiring resources for them and themselves and their families, and not thinking about larger reasons for life, for what we're here to do on the planet, what our behaviors are for outside of our ourselves, our needs, our security, and, and so on. They've just spent more and more time dealing with personal and family needs. And that has changed the worldview to make people a lot more compliant. That it, it you know, that democracies are always compliant, that democracies are always slow to go to war. That's just the nature of it. But that's in part because people who live in a democracy are usually highly content because they've made a democratic society that works for at least a time and that many, if not most people, get most of what they need from the society and the amount of effort that they put in to supporting the society. And so it works for them. And why rock the boat? Why do we have to rush off to war in this country across the other side of the world? when our society is working more or less okay here and we're not feeling a direct threat. And so democracies are very slow to move in. And I think people are very slow to recognize threats against their interests. And especially other, when it's all lies. Mm -hmm. The other thing that occurs to me as you mentioned this is that at the same time that civics is, is stopped, is no longer being taught and so forth and so on uh, secularly, You've got the churches that are failing in Western civilization. They, they, people don't go to church or to synagogue in the quantities that we used to. And therefore, we often fail to learn a set of principles. And uh, and we, we fail to look at the sort of religious histories that involve conquering and evil and... and uh, and, and and power structures and so forth. I think that's right. I think the traditional religions have declined quite substantially over the last 50, 75 years. 
although maybe our grandparents probably would have said the same thing in their times. Um, and But they've been replaced. They've re been replaced by modern theologies, people's belief systems that are bizarre beyond what I call beyond belief, that mm -hmm. people have conjured up ideas that they've been fed that goes back to an, an argument that I made a, a, almost a year ago, that people believe in plausibility. And, and, and pl you can make all sorts of cockamamie things that sound plausible and people believe them. And that's everything about COVID that's been um, propagandized to the general public has been plausible theories. You put something in front of your mouth and the vi virus won't get through it. You know, you stand six feet away and, and the virus won't come to you. You lock down, and you know, and the virus won't go to other people. Well, at least while you're locked down, um, and and on and on and on. All of the things that happened during the pandemic were based on plausible rep rep representations to the the general public by the government through its agents in the press and the CIA and wherever else that represented all of these plausible things, none of which were true including the fact that randomized controlled trials are the pinnacle uh, of, of medical evidence. That is not true. It, it is not true. It's plausible, but it is not true. Uh, and it's easily proved to be not true. And so people fell for this because people are just not sophisticated by and large. But even intellectual people fall for this because they're not sophisticated. They believe in theories, you know, that uh, this is a problem that the more technical, intellectual knowledge a person gets fed into them, the more their common sense falls out. You know, it's just like there's only so much room in the brain to hold, <laughs> you know, knowledge. And, and if you if you put in all this technical stuff that, uh, with whole literatures, then the common sense goes. And and that's what you see, that that people in the Midwest who with, with no, you know, college educations have wisdom and, and observation and, and look at things, you know, from their experience and not which political philosophy does this align with and which philosopher said this and 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 didn't say that and and so on so i think that that the the people in general in the modern age have been fed all of this body of knowledge that makes us vulnerable to being controlled and manipulated by outside interests for their purposes and we fall for it just like in 1984 because of it's very easy to relabel terms and make make things mean the exact opposite of what they actually mean and so that's what i think what's happened yeah um i agree with you on the details my emphasis is is a little different in that once again i see this is very systematically planned for hundreds of years and that um the degradation of the individual and of individualism and the enforcement of big government and of authority and totalitarianism um, has been systematically perpetrated. I mean, this our, our United States has been so undermined, first by the Russian communists uh, during World War II, who really infiltrated our society heavily and now much more the chinese communists by the marxists who have uh, you know they strive to eliminate everybody from the universities than themselves now they've managed through the 
education system and uh, the the federal edu- uh, department of education to uh, rid our educational system itself of people who are more conservative or God-fearing, replace them with Marxists and progressives. It's very systematic. I mean, this is what has blown me away in my um, sense of self-education, maybe in in the last several years since I turned my attention just from psychiatry. I mean, I could see how everything that happened in psychiatry could be tracked, all the negativity could be tracked back to a great extent to uh, the uh, enormously powerful drug companies. But I had no idea that this was just uh, sort of like Pfizer, uh, the tip of the spear that other people are controlling largely. And um, uh, it just didn't didn't happen um, out of a natural human tendency as much as out of maybe a natural human tendency for people to dominate one another, for small numbers of people to figure out ideologies and to dominate each other. Honestly, I think those people in pharma and financial sector elites couldn't care less about these political philosophies. That's right. That's one of my that's one of the things we talk about a lot in our initial book. Not that they don't care. They use them. Right, it's to, to divide us. other people. They use them to, to divide us. Yeah. And the real problem is the commodification of human life, that the elites think of us as just fodder for yes. what they want in the world. And, yes. And well, we're very close on this. Yeah, we're very close on this. And um, everywhere I've looked, it seems to me that the patterns are very, very consistent over time. And it doesn't matter whether it's a Chinese empire uh, during BC, where uh, you know the most violent small empire takes over all the surrounding empires and builds the great totalitarian em- empire of China at the time, back around 220 BC, and propagandizes people and kills half the population to make sure they got it under control and to demonstrate their power their own population well you know the middle east uh you know was also rife with all of that for a couple thousand years uh one population you know marauding over adjacent ones racing across the middle east controlling everybody and, and killing people and or taking people and transferring them halfway around the world so that they could never be indigenous again and and so on um, this was a standard behavior of, of empires at that time for control. And yeah, we this was the whole point of Judeo-Christian ethics was to civilize the world, to, to make that behavior unallowable, unacceptable, and and you know, and, and prevent it by a moral code. However, once that drops by the wayside because people believe in in other modern theologies instead of the classic ones, then you you know that the behaviors become unleashed, the things yes. that we had repressed as societies because that we felt they were immoral, then they become unleashed, and and that's what happened. Well, we actually we got to another break point, so let's take a pause here, and uh, everybody, please hang on. We'll be right back. 
For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Rich with Dr. Peter and Ginger Bregan. So we were just discussing the, the, the felicitous topic of depravity of, of the elites. Yes, and of anybody who gets into power, you know, Lord Acton's famous uh, uh, saying um, about, uh, you know, the, what is it, power? Uh, power tends to corrupt, absolutely. Corrupt. Power corrupts, absolutely. absolutely. Well, there's a sentence after that that is uh, seldom quoted, and that is that uh, basically nearly every strong or powerful man is a bad man. And uh, yes, but and you know, there's another one that I would put on the same plane as that in the Talmud that, that says, Oh, the best of doctors should go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason for this is there are things in human life where the emotions have to be put aside, and the rational brain used for the optimal result. Medicine, we do that all the time. You don't want your surgeon crying while he's doing an operation. You know, you want mm -hmm. him to associate his technical ability from his empathy and be able to bring both up as appropriate. And you, do, you don't want generals to be out there fighting battles and worrying about each and every soldier and, and that they might get killed. You, you just can't fight wars that way. So you have to be able to dis differentiate different parts of the brain, of, of cognitive abilities, but you have to be able to have both as as appropriate as needed you can't just get rid of one all the time and and only have the rational cold belief system heads of state have to treat the countries as including democracies as numbers you cannot be in the emotional level of every person at every time when you run a country of 300 million people or even 3 million people but that doesn't mean that empathy is gone that those are the decisions that are made as major decisions of state but that doesn't mean that that the state doesn't have a society that protects individuals, that has you know, safety nets for individuals, that has charitable organizations and, and benefit organizations and so on, that part of the establishment of a humane state is to make sure that everybody's protected and accounted for and not just treated as numbers. So you can do both at the same time, but you have to put your brain into gear for both sides of the equation. And when you lose one, your state fails. Either one, you lose, your state fails. Yeah, and you need a moral base. You know, it was so clear to our founders that uh, this was a very tenuous affair, this building of the Constitution. And uh, they hoped the Bill of Rights was going to help, but they realized that, that you had to have a moral people. And that is very much what they're trying to destroy now. Um, and I think that's a great part of the the uh, sex, um, gender um, emphasis and the uh, you don't have to be the sex you were born and uh, so much of what Why stop on. at only one? 
<laughs> yeah, why stop them? Fifty-seven varieties, and so much of it, which seems silly and foolish, I think again is part of the planning that goes on in the people who want to destroy the constitutional democracy so that they can rule the globe. But I, I think, think there's so many important. useful idiots. That's the problem that the doctors who go along with this and see dollar signs for doing procedures and think oh, well, we must be the most open to the most people who want to do whatever they want to do. It's their body, their life, their choice. We just have to be open to whatever they choose. That's how they rationalize this. They think they're being humane uh, without scientific evidence of that fact. So they haven't demonstrated whether these things are actually humane or not, but they think they're being humane by being open. And they're and they're brainwashed, you know, to 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 do these 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 behaviors. And in part, they see some degrees of self-interest. So, so the the useful idiots are are the the tools of the the, the elite that because people are just they just fall for this. It's too easy for people to fall for it. There has to be such a dismissal of one's well, any moral grounding, but also one's empathy in order to end up in that position it's like the concept of being kind if it's not connected to the individuals in front of you and to the 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 the, the overarching issues that are presented to you um it becomes an excuse for just going along and getting along so how many doctors did you hear uh in the early part of the pandemic may june july 2020 who said to their patients, I'd rather you died than I prescribed hydroxychloroquine for you. Well, I heard I heard those stories. Yes, they're horrifying. Right. I right. mean, there's no empathy there at all. It's the opposite. And a doctor would say that is obviously in fear and is not recognizing, now that fear is not coming to his conscious thought or her and, and is not introspective about what's going on here that they would feel that way and how to manage themselves in such a, a dire circumstance that must have been going on all the time harvey with the patients who were just constant peter and i got covid january of 2020 uh, and we are oh, always ahead of your times well yes, yes. <laughs> before it was a thing it happened that's right we were on a couch for three weeks we were oh, wow. so sick um and fortunately, I already had a good relationship as an asthmatic with an allergist who's an internist, and he's used to dealing with upper respiratory infections and issues. So, and my husband. So he gave his prednisone, even though now he, the he, he, within months the FDA would be saying he couldn't use prednisone. He did the upper yeah. respiratory um, treatments, which included the prednisone, the antibiotics, the inhalers. The I can't remember what else, but uh, he didn't tell us to stay home until we were half dead, and then and, and to come to see him when we were blue, you know, right? Um, and he he continued to address any of our issues that way. He was, we were very very fortunate to have that relationship at the beginning, and it certainly helped us to get over that initial illness that we had in January. Um, and then he was again very helpful when we got sick this spring. 
Uh, and again, all of those options were available to us and, and we were able to take advantage of all of that in addition to the hydroxychloroquine and the ivermectin and the various other supplements and zinc and the antibiotics and so forth and so on. So, um, so when you were, you had COVID the second time? Yes. Uh, how, we, how sick did you get from that compared to the first time? Oh, Harvey, we were, we both got pneumonia. I didn't even know I got pneumonia. Peter got pneumonia. He was in the hospital for five days. We had one of the C-19 docs, uh, wives, who's a nurse, came and stayed with us for two weeks looking after mm -hmm. us because Peter and I and my 96-year-old mother all fell ill within 24 hours of each other. I had laid aside all the supplies. I had an oxygen concentrator. I was all set for something to happen, except I never figured that I could get sick first. And I was the first one down. So it's interesting <laughs> that um, my older son came home last September uh, from clinic. He had, um, there was a, a staff member uh, who was wearing a mask and a face shield. And he said she had coughed a little bit. And he also was wearing a mask and a face shield in the clinic. He came home for the weekend with us. Two days later, he was symptomatic. He tested positive with the home test. Next day, he went and got a PCR. It was positive. Two days after he came home with it, I became symptomatic. Two days after me, my wife was symptomatic. Mm -hmm. um, we had both been using hydroxychloroquine for two years weekly. So it, that didn't stop it. And so we started taking it daily. It didn't change it. It did, it, it did nothing for it. I went five days thinking, well, I've got headaches and, and uh, you know, just a scratchy throat. Is this all that COVID is really going to be? And then day six, I crashed. I could barely get out of bed. I was having, I felt like I was menopausal, you know, <laughs> with, 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 with hot flashes, um, you, you know, fever is gone, fever gone and, and so on. And, um, and then I lost smell and taste. So I knew for sure, you know, what I was fighting and, um, and that lasted for three days. And I have to say the one bright spot in all this was when I got smell and taste back, food never tasted as good and as intense as it did then. And that lasted only for two days. Then it went back to normal. <laughs> and it took me about 10 days to get to feel more or less better. I, the tiredness lasted for about two and a half weeks. My wife was better faster. My son was better faster. The interesting thing that I observed from all this is hydroxychloroquine did not shut off the symptoms. But on the other hand, I wasn't hospitalized for it either. So I don't know if it kept me out of the hospital. But the way hydroxychloroquine works is not necessarily to prevent viral replication. It's to keep the immune system from overreacting. So in theory, hydroxychloroquine might have made my symptoms longer, but kept me from progressing to a, a, a to pneumonia. Right, or to a cytokine storm or whatever. Right, exactly. Right. And so <clears throat> these roles are important to know and understand and not to misinterpret, to say all those early studies in 2020 about hydroxychloroquine and symptoms. Well, it didn't make the symptoms go away faster. Well, nasal virus titers were, you know, were just as high in, in the, the hydroxychloroquine people as the placebo people. Well, but that's all nonsense because that's not what the drug is supposed to do. You know, if it's going to prevent pneumonia, that's what you you care about it doing. So I don't really know, but in, your cases seem to be very unusual in the intensity for the Omicron period. 
We were very fortunate because we had five doctors that we've become friends with in the C in in the COVID treating doctor circles, uh, not locally. This is uh, around the U.S. Who formed a committee and consulted with the nurse who was here with us, who was another treating COVID health practitioner. Um, consulted every day in a team. Um, in a team text and managed Peter's illness. And then I kind of piggybacked well, actually that. ended up sending me to the hospital. They did. They sent him to the hospital. Which they did. They thought I might die. Did you that think same. that you really needed more than just uh oxygen tank plus whatever medications? He didn't know. He was so out of I it. I was too sick to, I don't even remember the period of time. Uh-huh. I barely remember it anyway. Harvey, I thought he was going to die. It was terrifying. It must have been frightening. Yeah, it was well, terrifying. I want, I want people to know that, uh, what is it? Uh, I was in. I came out of the hospital on April 15th. And the highlight of my improvement was this Friday when um, I took uh, my pulmonary function tests for the first time because before then I was too sick. It was too painful. It was too oh. awful to do that breathing. And uh, I came out above normal to normal and with indications of a complete recovery. That's good. And, uh, and uh, my x-rays were sent to uh, to England to a specialist there in the middle of all this. And the report was that my lungs looked- Your CT scan. My yeah. CT scan looked like something from much earlier. It had the whole ground glass opacity that uh, was was classic in 2020 of pneumonia patients who had had COVID pneumonia. That, right. that has but, improved a lot too. Yeah, but that's rare. Uh, I mean, I've known of other people yes. who've been hospitalized during Omicron, not yeah, many. Well, there have been questions about whether maybe this was, wasn't all just happenstance. You know, I've been talking all day. I've been talking today <laughs> with you about planning, uh, malevolent planning, and the fact that we all got sick so fast, it was like we'd all been attacked at the same time. So I don't, um, there wasn't really you know, a it lot. Is, it's a very infectious agent among as infectious as measles, which is at the top level of, yeah. of infectivity of, of common infections. So but it's then, no surprise. Yeah. We didn't even have two days barely between. No, we all became ill within 24 hours. It was very, very, you know, that, that was not usual either. But I wanted to tell folks, as long as this came up, that uh, we're all better, that we are really better, that Bregans are back and um, doing well. <laughs> and my 96 year old mother is the best of all. She uh, recovered without pneumonia and she recovered over a two or three week period. And then she was. Back to her. She looked again. like she was going to die for two days. Yeah. Well, I yeah. thought I was losing both of you. Oh God, uh, it was awful. But you know, <laughs> we 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 talk about age and ninety six as being a vulnerability, but it's only because age correlates with chronic conditions, comorbidities. The comorbidities matter much more. You know that obesity, diabetes, chronic cardiac disease, kidney disease, things like that, are much more important to deal with than age by itself, that a 96-year-old person who's really in lucky enough to be have taken care of herself or himself and be in, in good shape without those diseases generally will survive pretty well yeah. from this mm -hmm. like like most other things. But mom was a school teacher for 25 years 
And um, she remembers every time school would start, she'd get sick as a dog and then she'd be fine the rest of the year. And in her older years, she has been extremely healthy and attributes it to a combination of drinking a lot of hot water, which may be very important, okay. and to her immune system from all those years. She's a cast third, iron immune system from third teaching grade, third grade. Third, third grade. Well, I know, I know. I mean, you just when you're a child, you need to lick the floors. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you train your immune system. Oh, yum. <laughs> well, <sighs> an exaggeration, but you get the idea that <clears throat> the, the the excessive focus on cleanliness in Western societies has done a slight disservice to our uh, immune growth in, in ch childhood. This is another interesting thing along the same lines that there's almost no peanut allergy in Israel. And the reason for this is that a very common Israeli snack is called bamba. And what it is, is corn and peanut puffs. That it's not, and you can get them in Trader Joe's now for, for what it's worth. And uh, I enjoy eating them anyway. But but parents would feed these things to their nine-month-old, one-year-old kids who would just gobble them up and... And because they have peanuts in it, they're at an early enough age before peanut allergies get uh, established because of avoidance of peanuts through early childhood. And and oh, so this desensitizes, it does a chronic desensitization to peanuts in an age group that prevents peanut allergies from occurring. Wow. <laughs> <clears throat> well, this, this has been a very, very interesting kind of covering of so many different things. Um, and uh, I guess the the great lesson for me out of so much of this, Harvey, is to always look for human intention. Um, some, you know, and then there's all these, uh, well, you know, the uh, useful fools, which is a Marxist concept. Right. You know, but, the, you know, I and mean, it's true. It's I true. Mean, but they're the end product of the control. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. And in fact, we're actually out of time for today. And... <laughs> So I hope everybody's enjoyed the discussion. And if you have questions, as I said, please submit them at americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. So Peter and Ginger, thank you for some really great discussions. As I say, they can go wherever they go. Um, and I enjoyed that. I hope you did too. Thanks everybody oh, yes. for listening and please come back again next week. Thank you.